How's it going today, guys? We're back here live in the studio again. Another episode of Hot Takes with CP3. It's me and Brett, as always, coming back to y'all. Today is Thursday, uh, May 23rd, 2019. It's the first podcast we've done this week. We just felt like that, you know, everything was kind of in predictable mode with everything going on in the NBA and whatnot. So we wanted to wait. And honestly, you know, even though I know we both picked the Bucks to win in five, I'm actually happy that we were wrong because we get more basketball, you know, like I'm, I'm glad we have more games Dude, left in this season i'm really enjoying the raptors i really am i i, I yeah. think that they've actually like put it together at this point in the season like better than anybody that we've seen in a long time and i think that kyle lowry has actually kind of found a groove in the playoffs which is shocking very shocking development the city yeah. of toronto is offering Kawhi leonard everything that they own to get him to resign. I heard resign. they gave him a key to the city, actually. I heard they told him they'd make him mayor if he resigned. Dude, did, they gave him, that guy gave him a $10 million penthouse, or offered a $10 million penthouse for him to stay in Toronto. And also, there's like a whole band of restaurants that have come together and offered free food for life if he resigns in Toronto. I don't know why he wanted it at this point. I know he doesn't like the cold weather, but come on, man. You're getting everything in the world offered to you. And you're yeah. down, you're tied two two against what everybody was the consensus pick, the best team in the league when they went up, you know, two zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely did not think. I figured we'd go back to Milwaukee, but I didn't think we'd be coming back to Toronto again. But I mean, no matter what, we're coming back to Toronto now at this point. Um, I guess the question would be, do you think the Raptors can win this series? I mean, I would, I'm saying no. I think the Bucs were still going to win this series, but I think Toronto could push it to seven games. I really do think we could see seven here. I mean, Toronto has been great at home in the regular season. They've played great at home in the playoffs especially, but – I kind of I love what you said about Kyle Lowry. He had 25 points last game. He had 30 in game one. You know, and even the games when Kyle Lowry wasn't shooting the ball well, he was still doing a lot for his team. Yeah, like I would watch Kyle Lowry play, and he was jumping on the floor for loose balls. I mean, he was doing it. Was like Kyle Lowry basically just said, "So what if I choke in the playoffs? So what if I can't shoot the ball? Like I'm not going to let it get me down at this Mm -hmm. point." I think after he scored those zero points against Orlando, and kind of the usual, everyone was bashing Kyle Lowry. I think he just finally said, "Like whatever, you can do." that but I'm going to put forth harder energy on the defensive end going for loose balls like you look at him his fingers are busted up and it's because he's playing hard and he's getting on the floor he's getting after it you know yeah, and I really admire him for that yeah this is the grit team right now it really is um I think that they have uh found, found it within them to compete at a high level against whoever is in front of them and I think that they really do have a chance to win this series if big if if the bench continues to play the way it has, if you look at the plus minuses across the board on, you know, your big bench players in Norman Powell, Serge Ibaka, and Fred Van Fleet, the plus minus for Powell was plus 29, Ibaka plus 24, plus 25 for Van Fleet, which is huge, especially in a game in which you won by 18. And you kind of have to, uh, you kind of have to, for the Bucks. You kind of have to have a good bench performance to beat them because their starting five is going to put up the numbers that, you know, they're consistent on. It's going to be on a nightly basis. You have to get that bench play. And, I mean, Norman Powell has really showed out the last two games. So I think that he's going to be a huge, uh, you know, cog and, you know, continue to push the Raptors farther. And I'm kind of interested to see how this series turns out. I mean, I wasn't expecting them to kind of come back but I've doubted them all throughout the playoffs I really have and I think that they've proved me wrong and I'm I'm gonna let them uh, see it through I'm not gonna really make a prediction on this series because I'm kind of a I'm kind of a fan of both of them really Dang. See, I think Milwaukee still wins this series. I actually do think that we're going to go seven games here. I just feel like I feel like the seven games, that was a good thing for Milwaukee just because this is still kind of an inexperienced playoff team in ways. I mean, obviously, Brooke Lopez does, but like Bledsoe, I mean, he hadn't really played in the playoffs since he's with the Clippers. Middleton and Giannis are kind of, I mean, they have, but they haven't played this deep in the playoffs yet. But going back to what you said, I personally don't think Norman Powell and these bench players will be as much of a factor on the road as they were at home. I mean, like I would always say, role players play better 
better at home than they do on the road. And I mean, Ibaka was absolutely worthless in the first two games, and now he's coming out here the last two games and balling out. That game, the last game could or game three could have gone either way. I mean, Giannis fouling out at the end of the game kind of really changed the whole game. But the thing is about that game is Toronto was able to make that game happen on kind of their terms. I mean, Milwaukee, realistically, if you look through the box score in game four, Yes, Toronto beat them by 18 points, but it's because Toronto was missed or Milwaukee missed all these free throws. I mean, 17 for 26 is absolutely unacceptable. Then 24 well, yeah, for 27 for Toronto. I mean, that's the really the difference in the game right there. Yeah, I actually tweeted about it. The fact that you know Toronto is shooting 88.9 percent from the line in a game in which they won by 18, and I mean, obviously, it's not going to make a impact in terms of you know changing the score in terms of the outcome, but it does make a difference. I think that if this game comes down to the fourth quarter and it's, you know, not a 15-point game the entire time, I think, you know, the Bucks have a chance to close out. And if you hit your free throws in a throughout the game, I think that you obviously set yourself up for a better outcome. And if you look across the team stats, everything else was pretty even. I mean, they were even on blocks. They were even on steals, assists, rebounds, points off turnovers, even fast break points and um, points on the paint. They were dead even 40 and 40. And I think that, you know, that free throw really the free throw percentage really helped Toronto carry the game away and I don't know if they're going to be doing the have the same percentage on the road but kudos to the Raptors I think that you know both of us have kind of doubted them throughout the playoffs and I'm I'm kind of excited that they've uh stepped up hopefully they get to retain Kawhi Leonard and get a little bit more help in the offseason if they do not win this series and if not I don't think they really have a chance against the Warriors I'm gonna be honest yeah, I mean, I don't think the Raptors, to be honest with you, I don't think the Raptors or the Bucks. I know I thought the Bucks could beat the Warriors. I don't know if anybody can beat the Warriors, Kevin Durant or not. I don't think they need him. I mean, we'll talk about that, though, here in a little bit. But to finish things up with Milwaukee, I think Milwaukee will play a lot better at home. I mean, we saw how hard they were to beat at home. That was only the second time they had lost two games in a row. I don't expect them to lose three in a row. Um, Milwaukee's a great team at bouncing back from stuff like that. Honestly... I didn't – I mean, before that we went into the playoffs, I thought Philadelphia was a better team than Toronto. Once I watched Philadelphia lose game one against Brooklyn, I said Toronto would get to the fi- would get to the final to play Milwaukee. I mean, I think Toronto, just because they probably have the second-best player in the East behind Giannis, and, I mean, they play so well at home. So I think Toronto's done about what I thought they could. I didn't think they could play Milwaukee as close as they have. But, I mean, this team is this team has been resilient. I really – I respect the way Toronto's played throughout these playoffs. Like, they've yeah. really stepped up and stepped – you know, like, they've – They've honestly like put they've said we know that we choke in the playoffs, but we're just gonna be gritty and grind out games. I mean, a lot of these games they played haven't been pretty. That's the first time they've scored, I think, over like a hundred and outside of that overtime game. I think that was the first time they'd scored over hundred and ten points or that they've done it in like three games, I think, in the playoffs. So that end I mean, a lot of these games that they've won throughout the playoffs, Kawhi Leonard has not shot particularly well. It's kind of been one of those um games in which you know he scored he has 15 bucket or 15 field goals but on 35 shot attempts or something like that this was a really well balanced game for them this last game so I hope that they get back to that because obviously it was the recipe for success but I'm I'm definitely still saying the Bucks are the favorite in this series regardless of it being 2-2 but we'll see and I think I'm ecstatic to have you know some tight basketball down the stretch in the Eastern Conference again so we haven't really got that in a long time. No, I mean, I agree with you completely. It's going to be exciting to watch just this series as both these teams grind out. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm ready, man. I'm ready to see what happens. So And moving forward, uh, our next little headline kind of revolves around KD being absent. Uh, it seems pretty evident to me that KD probably won't be staying with the Warriors. I'm not saying that I'm going to count it out completely, but it seems to me that he kind of wants to make a name for himself. Uh, There's been so many weird uh, little hints, you know, with Kevin Durant's brother kind of favoriting stuff about, you know, him being in New York, things of that nature. We will see about that. But the question that everybody's asking, are the Warriors just as good without KD? I mean, it seems like they are. Uh, The ball movement, the flow just seems more natural with him off the court. And it doesn't, not to say they're a better team with him off the court, but they might be about the same. 
Um, I think they're a better team without him on the court in ways that they, like you said, they move the ball better. They get other guys involved better. Let's be honest. Kevin Durant is like Carmelo. He stops the but about KD is he's way more efficient and he's a better passer. Like, yeah, he's going to stop the offensive flow, but he's actually going to get the bucket. You know what I mean? Like, it's proven that he can still win a championship with the way that he can stop the ball. You know what I mean? Melo never proved he can. I'm not saying he's a cancer like Melo is, you know, but it's just similar to that. Like, when you have all those guys, it just proves that Curry, Clay, Draymond, they're all equally as good as they used to be. It's just as clear that they all took kind of a back seat to Durant. They're like, all right, like, you know, Curry literally said, I'll give you the reins to my team, KD, and let you be the big time shooter. And that's, exactly what he pretty much did with Golden State. He goes out, Steph Curry scoring 36 a game, you know, like hitting everything he looks at. Klay Thompson, just as lethal as he used to be. Draymond Green was like one for 20 from three after Durant's gone out. He's hit like 10, he's like 10 for 20 since then. So all of a sudden Draymond Green's a three-point shooter. I mean, got Jordan Bell, a guy who pretty much was in the doghouse all season, all of a sudden coming in and being a big-time contributor. Iguodala's out. It doesn't even phase him. I mean, this is truly what great teams do. I feel like the Eagles and the in the Golden State are the two teams that I'll always remember for being that great, that they could replace main players on their team and still win. I mean, remember the Eagles, they didn't have Jason Peters. They don't have Carson Wentz. I mean, even this last year, their whole secondary's beat up. You know, they're down all those players, and they still get in the playoffs and I mean shoot they could have beat New Orleans if Alshon Jeffrey didn't let the ball go through his hands but that's another story for another day I'm but not going to talk just... about the Eagles they suck <laughs> but <laughs> I know you don't want to talk about the Eagles but that's greatness right there if you can replace that many good players and still be the exact same team that truly is greatness in coaching here's my thing uh, it seems pretty evident that Steph Curry and Draymond Green both play a little bit more comfortable with KD off the court Seems like Draymond Green has become a whole entire different player. Uh, he's back to that tr- kind of triple double nature that he likes to play. Uh, you know, the it's not a it's not your traditional Russell Westbrook triple double. It's the Draymond Green triple double, and it's ten, ten, and ten. And he's gotten back to that. And Steph Curry has gotten back to uh, I guess running around. You saw the impression, the video, the you know a little bit of comedy show but you know Steph Curry is running around and he's enjoying himself again and I think that he always has enjoyed himself obviously but he looks more comfortable out there without KD and here's the thing with the Warriors without having to sign KD in the offseason you can kind of fill some gaps that are kind of going to come just with uh, natural aging of players like Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston you can kind of afford to spend a little bit more on other aspects of your team even though you lose a great piece in Kevin Durant, I mean, possibly the best piece in the NBA, you already had your foundation before Kevin Durant, and you still have it now. I think that Klay Thompson, obviously, is going to stay, and the Warriors are going to, you know, continue this run that they have with or without them, and it's it's fun to see. I hate the Warriors. I really do, but it's, you got to respect them. It's fun to watch. No, it's definitely fun to watch. It's can't miss basketball. I mean, they play the game so beautifully in everything they do. Honestly, I love the way just watching Steph Curry play. He's so smooth and everything. But I really also think that Steve Kerr deserves a lot more credit. Everyone says, oh, when you have three players, four players that are that good, you don't have to do anything. I mean, people forget when Steve Kerr came to the team, you got Bogut, David Lee, Iguodala, all three of them who are all-stars. Steve Kerr told David Lee and and uh, Iguodala, y'all are coming off the bench and we're starting Draymond and, uh, and Harrison Barnes over them. And, I mean, not many coaches can do that and still get those guys to produce. I mean, even David Lee said, like, I want out of here after this year, but I'm bought in on winning with the team this year. I mean, he wins. He took a lesser role to win a championship. And, I mean, and not a lot of coaches can get players to buy into that. And I don't think people realize that. Also, I mean, this is the same Warriors team that was the four seed the year before. And then, Dave, and then they get Steve Kerr, and now they're the best team in the league. So, I mean, they changed the whole style of play with those threes and running and gunning and everything. So, I mean, I think Steve Kerr deserves more credit than he gets. And I really think that we're watching probably the most dominant basketball. I, I mean, I think it's going to be hard for me and you, Brett, to watch a more dominant basketball team than we're watching right now. I mean, even the Heat were pretty dominant. But, I mean, this Warriors team got way more to show for them than Miami did. Miami only got two championships in four years. Well, and the Warriors got three and four. Also, Miami played in the East, and they were kind of a monopoly. And to see the Warriors come out every single year of the West mm-hmm. is so impressive. I mean, people aren't talking about it enough. I think that, you know, coming out of the West five years and winning it, 
probably four out of the five years. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely insane. This is something that we haven't seen since Boston in the 80s. Uh, I mean, we didn't get to see that. So I think this is the most dominant team that we've seen in any sport, you know, for the last... 30 years I mean it's mm-hmm. it's been a it's been a wild run uh, I think a lot of the times it moves by so quickly that we don't really we don't really think about it and we kind of take it for granted but the Warriors are by far the best team that we've seen in our lifetimes on a basketball court I mean it's just incredible to watch but enough about the Warriors Let's move on to something that maybe is a dynasty in the making. Our Atlanta Braves have been playing phenomenal. We have some young guys that are absolutely killing the ball, knocking the cover off it. Austin Riley has come up. He's hit four home runs in five games, beast. I believe. Absolute yeah, beast. He hit another one last night. Yeah, I hit a three-run bomb last night against the Giants, which had a weird stat of the day, which I kind of want to share with you guys. Jeff Samarja gave up two home runs, but... Because he should have been out of the inning due to errors, he actually gave up zero earned runs in the six runs that he actually had given up while pitching or his team had given up while pitching. So that's a weird little stat. I think that hadn't happened in about 35 years is what I was reading into. Um, Kind of once in a blue moon, but the Braves are back, man. I mean, they they were, you know underrated last season we didn't expect it uh they kind of popped up and won the uh nl east out of nowhere really out of zero expectations the only thing that we need now is some bullpen pitching and i think we're gonna get that after june 1st when craig kimball comes back to the atlanta braves and signs so we can avoid some arbitration and some draft pick losing and yeah well did you so I don't know how much of the game you watched last night, but or first off, by the way, that was the eighth game for Riley. But it was the eighth I don't know game. how much yeah, of the, you're right. Yeah, but so that um, who was the pitcher we just traded for? The relief pitcher we just traded for. He came in though. He looks good. I can't think of his. I can't think of his name off the top of my head right um, now. Yeah. I don't know what's. Uh, oh, uh, Swarzak. Anthony Swarzak. Yeah, that's it. So he came in and looked good. So I mean, that's at least a good sign right there. I saw Biddle got in the game last night and gave up some runs for Seattle. So nothing's really changed there. But I think it's kind of funny how we called last year's team the Baby Braves with Ozzy and Acuna. But I mean, we might have the Baby Braves 2.0 this year, and that would be with Riley. I mean, Riley, like the thing I like about Riley is he's that big bat that's got power. You know, like I feel like that he's made it weird for our team now because you can't really give up Joyce. I feel like he's got a good bat off the bench. You know, like you can't really give up Culberson because he is the position player everywhere. I feel like Camargo and Ender, I mean, they kind of got to fight for that last spot. You know, like Culberson mm-hmm. can do, he's do it all. So you can, he's too valuable. But well, here's I mean, as much thing, as I love Camargo, it's pretty obvious I don't know that if Ender's on the way out. Yeah, I think Ender's more so the one who's on the way out than Camargo. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, who can play center field? You know, like if Ronald can't go that day, then who's going to play center field? You know, like Marcakis, I don't know, Joyce, mm, you know, like Riley. You can't really stick one of them out there in center field. So that's kind of why you got to keep around. You got to keep all these other fielders around, you know, like like Ender, because you need him out there to play center field if you can't get Acuna to go that game. But I also am loving our young pitching. That's what I think we're not talking enough about. Max Fried, Soroka. Mm-hmm. See, we thought that our pitchers coming up were going to be Newcomb, but I mean, Newcomb's actually doing a great job in the pen, which is what we need. I mean, Tuki too, we thought he'd be doing a good job as a starter. He's doing a good job out in the pen, but it's been Fulty, you know, as well. Like, he's one of those guys. Fulty, I think, pitched better, though, in his last start, but I mean, we still got to see more there. But Soroka and Freed, man, I mean, they've st- they're the real deal. I mean, that's one of the most dominant pitching. Like, that's one of the most, like, dominant two pitchers right there we've seen in baseball all season. This is going to be uh, a hot take right here. I'm going right. to go ahead and warn you, but I feel like the Braves on these days where we're not pitching Soroka or Max Freed, who are definitely our aces right now, we should look to, you know, kind of uh, applying the opener position with Sean Newcomb because I feel like it's actually really worked. Have you seen the opener position? Yeah, that the Rays use. Yeah, so the Rays actually lead the American League in ERA since they, you know, started using the opener. And essentially, what the opener is is you open the game with a reliever, and you only go through you know that first inning, and it throws a whole another gear into the whole entire other the hitting lineup for the opposing team because your first your one two three hitters only get to get one look at one guy. 
And uh, I think it helps in terms of, you know, keeping it, I guess, different, especially when you don't have the Rays do it because they don't have, you know, an array of starting pitchers. And I think the Braves have great starting pitching, but with Newcomb in our bullpen, I think that he can get a couple more innings than, you know, one or two if he gets one to two, one through three, and then we kind of use an extended bullpen throughout the game. I think that might be a good look for us. I mean, I don't know. It seems to work for the Rays and everybody else that uses it. Um, You know, I wouldn't say that's a bad hot take right there. I kind of like that take as well. I think it could do some good work for us. The other guy, though, too, that I think has kind of found himself a little bit more lately is Julio Tehran. Um, since giving up four runs versus San Diego back at the end of April in in May, he's been lights out. I mean, he's given up two earned runs in in four starts. I mean, he's thrown, he's gone six, six, five, five and two thirds. So, I mean, Julio's been pitching a lot better. He came into the month with a 535 ERA. He's got it down to 367. I mean, if we can get that Tehran of old, it'd be a lot better. I mean, they said he worked on his mechanics a lot more in the offseason. They said he put on a lot more weight so he can throw the ball better. And I definitely think it's worked. I mean, He's been pitching the ball a lot better than the than the Tehran of old. I mean, if he can get back, I mean, he's got a .79 ERA this month. So, I mean, if we can get back the Julio Tehran that we're used to seeing, Braves are going to be scary. I mean, I think the Braves are already scary. I don't think anybody in the league kind of – they don't want to go against the Braves lineup. I mean, if you really look at the Braves lineup <laughs> – probably one of the, one of the best if not the best in the league in terms of offensive lineups and if we get that mm-hmm. last little bit of a uh, pitching consistency when whether it comes into the bullpen or the back end of our starting rotation I think that the Braves are going to be a hard team to beat and it it's so obvious that they're just a single piece away you know from really dominating this NL East and we're down by a game and a half right now uh, the Phillies definitely, you know, have a great roster, but I really do think the Braves are a team to be reckoned with, and I think that if we don't win the NL East, we will still go to the wild card. I think they have a really bright future. I really do. I think that a World Series is right around the corner for us, Atlanta Braves fans and the city of Atlanta. God knows we need it. No, I mean, we need some team that's going to win for us. Like, our team has not, you know, we've not, it's it's been a rough go about for our Atlanta team. So, we definitely need a winning team here. And, I mean, the Braves are, the division's clearly been a lot weaker than we thought it. Like, the Nationals, I mean, the Marlins, like, they're, they're definitely two of the more bottom teams in the MLB. The Mets got a lot of injuries. I mean, they've been struggling, too. They just got swept by, they got swept by the Marlins last series. Now, they're sweeping the Nats in return for that. But still, I mean, the Mets also sent Cano and, um, one of their one of their I can't think of the other player but they sent Cano and somebody else to the DL today so I mean the Mets like they're they're kind of fading out at this point DeGrom hasn't been as good as we thought he'd be either I mean they've had think he is having arm troubles so I really feel like it's between the Braves and the Phillies to win this division and I think we're better suited than they are I mean they paid all that money to Bryce Harper and, and what's he doing well I will say the Phillies are up a game and a half and they have played only 16 games against teams with a record that's over 500 percent and the Braves on the other hand have played 29 so Mm -hmm. our record being only a game and a half with who we've played and uh you know how we've kind of come together we've only gotten better as the season has progressed and I think that we'll see uh separation between the Atlanta Braves and the Philadelphia Phillies once they kind of go through their hard stretch of the season. We've kind of already been through it. Uh, We still have, obviously, a couple more hard stretches, but I think that near the front end of our season was probably one of the harder aspects because, I mean, no no other team in our division has played as many games games against winning teams. Uh, I mean, we played 29, the Nationals played 28, and other than that, it's been, you know in the 20s for everybody but the Philadelphia Phillies. So it's pretty obvious that the Philadelphia Phillies have got some benefits on their schedule. I'm not saying that I should count them out by any means, but it's something to look into. Yeah, no, it'll definitely even out as the season goes on. We kind of saw that with the Jazz, how their season, how their schedule was so hard, then they got better as the season went on. Mm-hmm. But that's about all I got to say for the uh, Braves. You got anything, any last remarks? No, just keep in mind, uh, keep that calendar, you know, fresh and ready to go on that June 1st once we get Craig Kimmerell back into the uh, 
the old Atlanta Braves rotation. So that's my little takeaway from you know the last first month, and uh, we'll see. I I really do feel like we're about to sign Craig Kimball. It makes sense. Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I would love to see us go out and get Kimball. I like the confidence you got in us already, basically considering we already got him. I love that. So let's move. No thanks. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Let's move here now to the power play. We've got the power play back this week once again. So we'll start here actually with a little Stanley Cup action. I know me and Brett never talk about hockey, but you got that. Might as well since it's the Stanley Cup final. Um, it's both. So we got the Blues here versus the Bruins. And I right, so you, you you got nothing to say on this one? Yeah, you got it. All right. So I'll give my. Th- 30 seconds here so basically i got the blues winning uh, stanley cup final i know i'm not a not a big hockey guy so you, I, I don't want y'all going out betting some crazy amount of money on the blues winning it but blues were in last place in back in january 29th and now they're in first place i feel like they're a very hot team right now so i feel like the blues are kind of riding that hot wave and that's the crazy thing about hockey rather than the nba is you can see that see the best like the best team of all time lost in their uh, beginning of their series and now look at look what we got we got a team like the blues in the final so I'm going to go with the Bruins just because you never bet against, one, the best player in hockey, and two, you don't bet against Boston. It's just, if they get there, you just don't bet against a Boston team. So, I'm going with the Bruins. I'm not that big into hockey, but we'll see. I I might actually uh, watch this little Stanley Cup uh, final right here just because, why the hell not? I'll watch since it's on opposite nights of the NBA Finals, might as well. Get us something to watch. All right. Um, second question. We'll both answer this one. I'll let you go first on this one, Brett. Um, do you have a problem with Drake's involvement in these Raptors games? Absolutely not. I think that this guy is ultra popular. He's a world celebrity. He gets the people going, man. And I, I love seeing him. He gave uh, he gave pretty much the whole entire Raptors bench the Drake treatment. Uh, he's given. He's been given a suit coat. You know, for the Raptors, it was worth like seven million or something. I think it's awesome, and he's the heart and soul of Toronto. So, I'm I'm okay with it. It's awesome. All right, um, I'm actually gonna agree with you on this one, Brett. I think Drake is the heart and soul of Toronto. Uh, I think it's funny to watch him out there on the court. How that he literally does whatever he wants. He's over there making fun of Giannis. Um, he's over there giving uh, giving Coach Nurse a little back rub. Like, I think it's funny, honestly, to watch him out there. I mean, they already give him Drake night. I mean, he should basically be an owner of the team at this point. I think you got to give it to him. Plus, I mean, he helped him get to the next round. He Drake cursed Philadelphia, so I don't see why not let Drake out there. I mean, he's the biggest star in, you know, that kind of culture, so I think it's fun to have him involved. I love it. All right. Yeah, yeah, you gotta love it. I think it's hilarious seeing him out there. Um, number three here on the power play, we'll uh, both answer this one as well. Do you think it's smart, do you, or did you think the Buccaneers basically swap of Gerald McCoy for Indomitian Sue was smart? Ooh, I didn't really like it, to be honest. Uh, I thought that, you know, Gerald McCoy is somebody that has been in their system for a little while, and it only made sense to keep him, really, and I, I don't understand why they would swap him for a new player that has to learn the system. And I mean, Sue's on the back end. I get, I get that they save money, but McCoy was a great player. You needed to keep him in the Buccaneers organization. I don't know if there was a rift between them, but I guess we'll find out soon. Yeah, I'm going to go on the opposite side of you on this one. I actually like the move by them. So they signed Sue to a one-year deal. I don't know what the money was officially, but they still would have owed McCoy $33 million over the next three seasons, which is quite a good bit of money to be paying out. Both these guys came out of the same draft. Sue does have a little more wear and tear on him as he's played over a thousand more snaps than Gerald McCoy has over this time period, which is basically another a couple seasons. But I like the one-year deal for Sue. I'm glad they didn't sign him to a long-term deal. So I think it was a smart move for the Bucks just to get that salary, just to get that money off the table. They'd already paid all the uh, guaranteed. All right, let's uh, move here now to question number four. We got two left on the power play. So the NBA all-rookie teams were released on Monday. Did you have any problems with the all-rookie team, or is there anything you liked a lot about them? All right, go. So I actually didn't have any problems with the NBA all-rookie teams. I thought that it was kind of interesting that the, you know, all-rookie first team was the one through five draft picks, 
which was something that we don't see very often. I think there was the right choice. There was definitely some players that kind of got snubbed, but they didn't really come together until, you know, the end of the season, like Alonzo Trier, Kevin Knox. I think that while they could have been considered snubs, I think they got it right. Yeah, um, I'm going to agree with you on this one. I think they got it everything around. It's funny that the Orange fans were trying to say to the end of the season, oh, the Kevin Knox is going to be first team all rookies and win rookie of the year. I mean, he didn't even make one of the teams and Kevin Herter did. I love seeing Kevin Herter on there. Also, it was really high on this draft class and everybody who was in it. So I think it just reassured me that I did a good job of, um, of looking at these and scouting this talent out and the fact that all five of the first five picks made first team. I'd say the only team that could be considered a loser on their draft pick was the Suns because, I mean, they could have had Doncic or Trey Young or Bagley with uh, with um, Devin Booker, and I just don't think that Aiden's going to be more than an 18 and 10 guy. Mm-hmm. I agree. Unless something yeah, drastic see, happens. Yeah, I mean, 18 and 10 is good, but at the end of the day, when you could add all those other guys, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not at you, sure. you know. Yeah. All right. Last one here, and we got I'll one more to go. add to, or one more headline to talk about after this power play. But go. All right, so I guess I'll start out on this one. And yesterday, the all-NBA defensive teams were released. And do we have any problems with this? Go. And yes, I do have a major problem with this. Miles Turner should absolutely not have been left off this list. I mean, the Indiana Pacers are the best defense in the NBA this season. I mean, Joel Embiid, he's good and all, but Embiid's not a better defensive player than Miles Turner. He anchored the best defense in the NBA. He led the league in blocks. I mean, I just don't see how you can't have Turner on there. He's a grinder and a gritty player. He's boxing out rebounding. He's doing all the small things that help basically run this Pacers team, and he stepped up even more when Depot went down. I thought Turner deserved to at least be on second team. I don't think I could have put him on there ever go bear. I'm going to agree with you 100% on this one. I think that, you know, the fact that he was left off the roster is just appalling. I understand that he could have not made the uh, first team, and it would have been okay. But I am glad that Marcus Smart got some recognition, and I think that he was the true, you know, grit player for the Celtics. He brought the defense together, even though they were in a pretty bad season in terms of uh, chemistry. I think that he kind of was the glue for that Celtics team, and I think that he was really a, uh, a standout player on the defensive side. So I'm, I'm okay with everything. I did think that Joel Embiid shouldn't have been there, but I'm pretty much okay with that whole entire all-defensive team. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. I mean, I, I, when I saw him beat on there, I was like, what? How? Over Miles Turner? I mean, I couldn't believe it. I could. There's definitely other players I would have even seen, like maybe even Capella on there over Embiid, you know? like. Yeah. So, well, just now, as we were talking, I know we kind of wanted to uh, see the All-NBA teams. They have released the first team for the All-NBA teams consists of Giannis Antetokounmpo, James Harden, Steph Curry, Paul George, and Nikola Jokic, which I really like Nikola Jokic being there. Oh, love um, that. Yeah, second team consisted of Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, and Kyrie Irving. Not sure how I feel about Kyrie Irving, but, I mean, he did perform. He's always going to perform. It's just, you know what he did to the chemistry of that team. I don't know if it plays a factor in the All-NBA aspect, but I, I definitely, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it, especially when Russell Westbrook, although, you know, he is Russell Westbrook, he does have the cri- criticism that he can't mm-hmm. win. He averaged a triple-double, man. I mean, you can't take that away from him. For him to be on the third team and average a triple-double is a little bit ridiculous, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I understand that, you know, he, he does pack his stats, but he did average a triple-double. You can't take that away from him. The third team consisted of Russell Westbrook, Blake Griffin, LeBron James, Rudy Gobert, and Kimball Walker. All right, before we get into each team, let's uh, let's break these down team by team. So first team, do you think they got it right? For the most part, yeah, I do. Um, I think that obviously there's players that you could have maybe included, uh, maybe, you know, Kevin Durant in that forward position, but I think that Paul George really was playing Mm -hmm. head and shoulders above the rest of the, uh, you know, forwards in the league at most, for the most part of the season. So I think that they definitely did get that right. And as far as, you know, Steph Curry, obviously, uh, you know, he's Steph Curry. He has an impact on the game, but he didn't play, you know, your Steph Curry MVP season. I still think that he's deserving of that award though. 
Um, I could, I don't think Steph Curry deserves to be on the first team. I mean, he missed a good bit of time. Yeah, the Warriors had a great season, and they should have a player on the first team. But at the same time, Damian Lillard was the heart and soul of this mm-hmm. Portland Trail Blazers team. He managed to still get them in that uh, two-seed three-seed slot, even without Nurkic and him going down. I feel like they, I mean, they have the best offense in the league when he's on the floor, and they have the second worst only to the Cavs when he's off the floor. I think that's an absolute stub for Damian Lillard. He should have been on the first team all NBA. I mean, he played like it and just everything he did, he deserved to be on the first team. I I don't think Steph Curry deserves to be on there over him. I mean, yeah, there's definitely a case for Damian Lillard to be on that first team. I think that really the reason that Steph Curry is on that first team is because of the Warriors season. I think that, you know, them being a first the, the one seed having a great season I think that you kind of include him onto the roster because you need a warrior in that top and obviously you can't pick Paul George over Kevin Durant or Kevin Durant over Paul George rather in this yeah. situation so I think that just kind of another uh unlucky role for Damian Lillard but he did get second team so I you it is what it hey, is. Dam- Damian Lillard would rather have it that way though if I know anything about him just another thing to add a chip, yeah, on, his chip shoulder, on his shoulder but- yeah I think that's disrespectful that he's not on the first team. Like that's absolutely ridiculous in my opinion. But with the second team, I don't really have any. I think I guess the one player that I really don't like seeing here on the second team is Kyrie Irving. I mean, Boston vastly underperformed this season. I think that Kimball Walker or Russell Westbrook, more so Kimball Walker though than Russell Westbrook. I mean, Kimball Walker doesn't have anything on the team besides him if you look up and down that roster I mean that's they got a lot of young guys with potential but I mean none of those like they showed potential going for next season but I mean none of those young guys were worth really anything this season and just the fact that Kimba Walker was able to do what he could do I mean if you look at his shots he had so many unassisted basically it was like Kimba drops 40 tonight or we lose was basically the way they played I think Kimba deserves a little more respect than that and had he made the playoffs he probably would have been on the second team yeah and another guy that I'm kind of surprised didn't get much love at all uh, was Bradley Beal. I mean, this guy averaged 26, uh, 5 and 5 on an absolute, and one and a half steals on an absolute dumpster fire over there at Washington. And, you know, he mm-hmm. didn't, kind of got snubbed from the All Star team. I thought, you know, obviously, I think he played better than Kyrie Irving this season. Uh, I think that, you know, that second team may have just shifted everybody up. Uh, from, you know, the guard positions from the third team. I think that, you know, Bradley Beal deserves some type of recognition. I understand that the Washington Wizards were not a good team, but he doesn't get enough recognition for what he brings to the team. No, I agree with you completely. That's what people don't realize, man, is Brad Beal was top 10 in the league in scoring. And, and I mean, I, I agree with you. I just think the Wizards were too bad. I mean, there yeah. was a point in time where he tried to bring them back into everything. But end of the day, the Wizards were just way too bad. So I can definitely see that. can understand that. I mean, same thing with Kawhi Leonard. He sat out too many games to get on the first team All-NBA. So I think that's mainly the reason why we're not seeing him up there higher. But, by the way, I'm really – I'm kind of mad that Embiid got almost as many votes as Jokic did, but at the same time, I'm really glad Jokic got on first team All NBA because I mean he should have been third in the MVP votes over Paul George any day of the week. Yeah, and uh, I think that a lot of people are going to be mad. A lot of people are going to criticize the Jokic over Embiid pick, but let's face it, I think they're interchangeable in terms of this first team All NBA. I think that you know Jokic has more of an impact on his team at times in terms of you know facilitating he plays the he plays the role of center as a point guard and a center so he kind of facilitates Joel Embiid as a dominant center but I mean when you're the main facilitator as a point guard or as a center and you're also the main rebounding rebounding and scorer for your team I think that you deserve to be on that first team all or first all team Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that he took took his team to the second spot in the West with him being the only all-star, and like you said, I mean, he almost averaged triple-double per game. Just everything mm-hmm. he did, I mean, there's there's no way he should not be on the first team. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Um, yeah, third-team All-NBA, I mean, I don't really think there's anybody that's that's on there that doesn't deserve to not be on there, you know? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I don't think there's much really else to say. I don't think there's anybody who, like, should have absolutely been on there that got just, like, brutally snubbed. So I think they pretty much got these teams right. With the exception of Bradley Bill. I mean, but then again, this team was bad. So Yeah, I mean, it'd be tough, though, to put Beal on there over any of those guys. you got to think about it. You'd be putting him on there as a guard. I don't know if I can make a case for to have Beal on there over Irving, Westbrook, or Kimba, you know? Yeah. 
Moving forward, though, we're going to have a couple final little takes before we kind of uh, close this thing up and wrap it up. First of all, we're going to talk a little bit about the NFL. Uh, Thomas wants to talk about this one. I think that uh, it's definitely realistic. Uh, the Steelers, really, will the Steelers miss the playoffs with the departure of Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown? My answer is yes. Uh, wow. I think that, no, I, I really do think that not only did the Steelers get weaker, uh, the rest of the division got stronger. And minus, with the exception of the Bengals, um, I think that, you know, the Ravens, you know, got a good running back out of the draft. I think that another year of Lamar Jackson is only going to benefit the Ravens and their defense. They got is Hollywood gonna, Brown. Yeah, their defense is always going to be stout. And, yeah, they got the uh, Antonio Brown's cousin uh, <laughs> kind of a slap in the face of the Steelers. And, you know, we all know about the Browns, how they've gotten better. I think that the two teams that are going to come out of this division are the Ravens and the uh, Browns. And I think the Steelers just get the short end of the stick. And I don't think they're going to be down for very long. But I think this season is a, you know, a rebuilding process for them. See, I can't say that I think that that's a bad take necessarily because I'm just I'm just taking a different angle than you are. I think the Steelers will be better this season actually than they were last year. I think they got rid of some key distractions. Look, I know Le'Veon Bell himself wasn't trying to be a distraction, but the media still created a distraction through the entire situation and everything that was going on. Obviously, Antonio Brown was a big time distraction. I think that Big Ben did a good job, you know, of kind of owning up to things and being more of a leader this offseason. So I feel like the Steelers have gotten rid of their distractions. Actions. And honestly, the Steelers, you know, like you lose Le'Veon Bell, you think, oh, there's going to be no production in that backfield. James Conner, everything looked perfectly fine. So I think James Conner can step up. Obviously, Juju is going to have to learn a little bit how to step up and be that number one. But I feel like the Steelers are known for replacing receivers. They replaced yeah. Hines Ward. They were able to replace Mike Wallace. They were re- able to re- replace, um, well, I don't know why I'm drawing a his name, Tony Holmes. I mean, they've always been able to replace those. They've always had that thousand-yard rusher, and they always have that thousand-yard receiver. They're always able to replace these guys. It's you know, it's next man up mentality, and it's also the offensive system they work with, and the way Big Ben makes all the guys around him and better. I'm, I feel like on offense. And I will say, but, I'm definitely not counting them out. I'm not saying that they're going to have a necessarily a crazy bad season in which they lose, you yeah. know, ten games or something. I just think that. Um, they're going to be in the short end of the stick. I think they're going to go through some early season growing pains, which they're oh, yeah. not going to be able to kind of recover from. See, I think there'll definitely be some early season growing pains. The Steelers always seem to start the season off slower, but I feel like once they get those wide receivers a little more you know, comfortable in there, I look for guys like they have veteran Dante Moncrief. I look for him to have a decent season. James Washington was a guy I was high on. You know, I think Washington will have a much better season this year. He looked better as the season went on after getting called out for missing that big catch. But also, I think the Ravens, you know, like we've kind of seen it happen, for example, with Kaepernick and the 49ers in that run offense. I really think as these players have been around for like a, you know, like we saw it even when they played the Chargers for the second time. The Chargers shut down that offense. I mean, in the fourth quarter, when the Chargers basically just said, "We'll give you it. We'll let you keep throwing it underneath and run time off the clock," since we're upsized so much, and the Ravens came back a little bit at the end. I just feel like that with just the the way that those kind of offenses work, that you can figure it out when you have more film and more time to prep and prepare for it. So I think the Ravens' offense won't run as smoothly as it did last year. But I mean, I think the Browns also might have some growing pains at the beginning of the season. But I actually like the Steelers to win the division, and I like the Browns to make it as a wild card. So that's my take on this division. Mm-hmm. I like I really, that though that we're on different sides. Yeah, I really do like. Uh, I mean, we're gonna see it pretty soon. I mean, sooner rather than later, how it you know pans out. But I think that. The Browns are obviously the most talented team in this division in terms of just pure talent across the board. I think that, yeah, I think that even if they do have growing pains, I I still think they win games even if they play kind of poorly. And I think, you know, when you put that much talent, uh, they all kind of have a chip on their shoulder at this point with OBJ and Jarvis Landry and Baker Mayfield. They all kind of have a chip on their shoulder. And I think that that makes them extremely dangerous. It really does. I mean, they they wake up feeling dangerous, as Baker Mayfield said. So I think that, you know, I'm looking forward to that whole entire team. I really am. The content that they're going to be releasing as like a individual level is going to be absurd. So Mm -hmm. I cannot wait for the Brown season. 
no, that's going to be like the big like Hollywood team everyone wants to hear about. But I also like kind of how the Steelers are trying to rebuild that. Like, you know how they have the steel curtain defense. I feel like they're trying to we're trying to rebuild it. Justin Lane, quarterback from Michigan State, great cover corner on the outside. So mm-hmm. I think they did a good job adding him. Obviously, they got Devin Bush. And I mean, the Steelers have been known for having the, that great linebacker in the middle of the defense, whether it was Larry Foote or some of those guys that are way before me in use time. So I feel like that TJ Watt, all these guys, Vince Williams, Cam Hayward, all of them are just getting, you know, better becoming better. more seasoned, yeah, more seasoned vets and really coming into their own here. So I feel like the Steelers actually have rebuilt that defense into the powerhouse that it used to be. And I think that they're going to have a great defense to go along with another great offense and ultimately end up winning the division. All righty. Yeah. Um, we'll see. I'm, I'm still in this Browns bandwagon for sure, but time will tell. And we're going to just get down to it. I can't I can't wait for this upcoming NFL season. I think it's going to be one of the more interesting ones that we've seen in a long time. No, I like it, too. I also think we're going to have a lot different like Super Bowl and playoff opinions, which is going to be good. Yeah, for, the show. No, for sure. So. Especially with the NFL is one of the for whatever reason throughout my entire life. I've always had opinions that like clash with other people's opinions when it comes to mm-hmm. the NFL. And it's like the weirdest thing too, because a lot of the times it'll be like something that like everybody seems to agree on and whoever I'm talking to just doesn't agree on it. So we're just going to sit here and argue. So I'm looking forward to that. It's one of my favorite seasons for argumentation. So we'll get to it and y'all will be able to listen to that a little bit more, but moving forward and closing out on something that we've already kind of briefly touched on this episode where is Kevin Durant going to go this offseason? I know that it's kind of premature because we haven't even got through the finals and the Warriors are still in it. Uh, there's been rumors that he is going to take his talents to New York or to the L.A. Clippers, or he could be staying. But for me, personally, I have a spot that I think will actually be a better fit. And I don't know if he's going to pick it, of course, but it would actually be kind of comedic for Knicks fans. I love seeing Knicks fans in pain. Uh, It's just kind of funny to me. So I think that we might actually see Kevin Durant go to the Dallas Mavericks. That's a hot take. And that's all I'm going to say. I'm not even going to give a reasoning behind it. You can just fill in the blanks for yourself. Dallas Mavericks. Mark Cuban is going to bring him there. He's going to do it. They're a city of champions, man. Dallas. I I don't see him going to Dallas at all. Um, You know, I think Kevin Durant's best move here is going to L.A., but I think he's going to end up going to New York. And the reason being is if he goes to New York and brings them a championship, he's an absolute legend. I mean, New York hasn't won a championship in so long. It's been something they've struggled with in and out. Um, I think he's got to leave the Warriors for sure, though. The Warriors winning these games in the playoffs has kind of made him, you know, a lot less valuable, which is something that he doesn't like. I mean, KD, you know, he's wants to be he wants to he wants to be better than LeBron whether he admits it or not he wants to be known as the best player to ever play the game he wants to be better than LeBron he knows he's he has a chance to be known as that I personally don't think I could ever consider him better than LeBron but he wants it to be a thought and he wants it to be a conversation and the only way he's going to do it is by bringing a championship to New York I mean he I think that if he were to go to LA and with the Clippers and meet up with Kawhi or with LeBron I think that would be his better move but I also think the Clippers have a better win now roster than the Knicks do the Knicks roster is pretty bad but i mean if they're able this to get is, anthony yeah Davis, this is my point yeah this is my point with the knicks um if you don't it all depends on the offseason for the knicks if you don't get anthony davis or you don't pull in you know a Kawhi leonard for the la clippers kevin Durant's not going there and it seems to me that there are some teams out there obviously i'm kind of falling on the dallas mavericks just because they have like this team that i feel like you would fit well with but there's some teams that have better win-now teams and rosters, and I think that there's going to be rosters out there that are better suitors for him, and it's just whether or not they can sway him to get there. But we're going to find out. I can't wait for you know this whole drama for where KD is going. It's going to be interesting. Maybe he goes back to OKC. 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely could not see that one happening there. <laughs> but I think that New York will ultimately be what ends up happening. I think they'll be able to convince players to go there. I think guys will want to go there and kind of, you know, run their own team, try to make their own little big three, which I think is the best thing that can happen for basketball. Personally, though, I kind of disagree with you a little bit on that. I think if the Clippers, even if they don't acquire anyone else, I mean, we saw them with what they had beat the lake or beat the uh, Warriors twice. And I mean, Rockets can only beat them twice as well. So nobody has won in Golden State yet in the playoffs besides the Clippers. So I think if you plug Kevin Durant in that team, you automatically have a top three team in the West because he's that good. But, I mean, guys, like, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of guys leave. I know a lot of people said Kimball Walker could move around a little bit, which I don't see happening anymore. Now, that, that the thing I forgot to say about we were talking about the first all-NBA teams, the fact that Kimball Walker made that team that now makes him eligible for that five-year $221 million extension, yeah. which I'm sure that Kimba is going to take to stay in Charlotte. So, I mean, it's going to be weird to see what players we end up seeing with, with KD, but ultimately I think he's either going to be a Clipper or a Nick. I think it's only a two-team race. And we will definitely find out for sure. Uh, I think that this is like probably the more uh, important free agent uh, signing that we're going to see in the NBA because it could change the entire landscape. Uh, I think mm-hmm. that you know him leaving the Warriors evens the balance of power. I think that you know, depending on where he goes and depending on where some other players in the NBA go, I think that we might see a whole different NBA next season. I think that's awesome. I think the ability for the landscape to change so quickly is kind of what draws so many people to the NBA. No, absolutely. I mean, the NFL, it's it's so much harder for the entire landscape of the league to change. You'd have to have way more players, you know, change up teams in order to be able to change it, the landscape of the league like that. But, you know, I really feel like that, too, that it just makes the league more fun. The fact that it's more even he's he's a bigger piece that can move than LeBron is just because, you know, like LeBron moving teams really didn't change that. I mean, yeah, it changed the East up a little bit by freeing it up, but it didn't really change anything up in the West. But Durant leaving doesn't make the Warriors as unbeatable as they seem. Do you think LeBron regrets going to L.A.? I think he jumped um, the gun. I think he jumped the gun by one year. I think you should have stayed in Cleveland one more year and then then bumped out. Yeah, I definitely think the I think he regrets it a little bit, whether he'll admit it or not. I think he definitely regrets it. Like I think sitting at home kind of pissed LeBron off. But at the same time, I think going this year was the better move for LeBron. Because I mean, realistically, he's not beating he wasn't gonna beat the Warriors if he stayed in Cleveland. He wasn't sitting gonna out beat helps the, him too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It helps him just it helps him recover his body a little bit. He's had so many postseasons added on to his body, so sitting out helps LeBron at the end of the day whether he wants to admit it or not this was probably the best thing that could happen for him I mean his body clearly wasn't right he said it and he needs to get right so I'm not gonna say anything other than this for the rest of the episode right here but LeBron's going to return to MVP for him next year and I'm done all right well it's all Brett's got for y'all he's not even to give you all his peace since he said that was the last thing he's saying for the rest of the episode but I appreciate everyone tuning in once again um we made it this far finally brought LeBron's name up so I didn't have to do it in our final closing words but it's been we've had a good run me and Brett doing these episodes we got something big dropping before game one of the finals so y'all stay tuned to that I'm about to I'm about to take over the game so on that note I'll see you guys probably we'll probably won't have another one until next week but we'll try to get back to two podcasts next week since this series will probably be finished up and will be time for the big news to drop good deal all right peace I, I lied peace you brought that into play and I just couldn't stop all right. I'm done. <laughs>